0: Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us together. Thank you that we can, not only every day, but also every Sunday, Lord, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for our salvation, Lord. Thank you for the hope of heaven. Thank you for the joy and comfort of the Holy Spirit that you've given to us. And Lord, thank you for your church, Lord, which is a light in this dark world. May you unify us, May you guard us from the evil one, Lord. May you encourage us and bless us and keep us and build us up today, Lord. May you bless this message. May it just touch our hearts, Lord, and encourage us. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So today's title is Delighting in the God of the Psalms, Part 3. For the last couple weeks at the school that I have been teaching at, um i've been outside with the pe teacher that was that's been my assignment go outside with the pe teacher and assist him because the students are testing they're testing and pull-ups and push-ups and a mile and they're doing all sorts of tests so i'm there to kind of do crowd control while the pe teacher is recording times and whatnot and some of the days he goes you know what i'm just going to take a break from testing i'm tired of testing let's have the kids play soccer Let's have them play kickball, freeze tag, whatever it may be. Half the time, we're sending kids up to the office for punching each other and all sorts of, that's a whole other discussion. But nevertheless, he's picking teams for soccer, and throughout the week as they're playing games, this is what I'm hearing. These teams aren't fair. We don't stand a chance. They're better than us, and they're constantly complaining and whining, and they have this kid, and we need him, and no, they have seven, and we have we have six and we need another player and they're going back and forth. He reminded me of David and Goliath, right? The story that many of us know, the underdog, so to speak, how David didn't stand a chance, humanly speaking, against Goliath, right? It wasn't a fair fight. Here's this seasoned war veteran, Goliath, this giant, who's blaspheming the name of God and challenging all these Israelites, who's going to come out to me? Who's going to come fight with me? Nobody. Nobody but this young shepherd boy who many scholars believe could have been between 13 and 16 years old. One Bible translation says that he was but a runt, a youth, a runt. And so here he is, David, going out to fight Goliath. And I think I told the students that at one point. Look at the story of David and Goliath. Now go out there and play soccer, okay? (laughs) But God was preparing David, right, behind the scenes. David says, I grabbed that lion by its mane and I killed it. The bear and the lion tried to attack the sheep and I guarded the sheep. And just like God delivered me from them, God will deliver you into my hands today, Goliath. And I'll feed your body to the birds of the air. We know how the story ended. David killed Goliath. David later ascended to the throne of all of Israel. This seemingly insignificant shepherd boy becomes ruler over the entire kingdom. But David knew it was all God. He saw God's hand upon his life every step of the way. God was there to deliver him from the lion and the bear. God was there to deliver him from Goliath. God was there to deliver him from the hand of King Saul. God was there to deliver him from the kingdoms, the enemies all around him. And Israel, God's guiding, protecting, caring hand was upon David's life every step of the way. So this is what David says in 2 Samuel seven eighteen, Who am I, O Lord? Who am I, O Lord God, that you would consider me? He says, What is my house that you have brought me this far? I love the humility. I love how God, David gives God all credit. 2 Samuel chapter 8, verses 6 and 14 say, The Lord helped David wherever he went. God's favor was upon David. He was successful. It's like whatever his hand touched turned to gold, so to speak. He was prospering in all that he did. And by the time you get to Second Samuel chapter 11, it seems everything is going right for David. He's ruling over the kingdom. The people love him. He has favor with God. What could possibly go wrong in David's life? Everything. There's a very important verse found in 1 Corinthians ten, twelve: Let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Today I want us to turn our attention to Psalm 51. And we'll go ahead and read it in a couple minutes. I want to make some preliminary remarks. Psalm 51, taken from Book 2 of the Psalms, helpfully titled, God Going Before Us. It's a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of confession and sorrow over sin. It's a plea for restoration. It's a plea to return to the Lord, to the joy of the Lord. It's a pledge that once he returns to this joy, to testify to others the amazing grace of God. And you know the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You know the story of how David, he should have gone out to battle with the rest of the Israelites. It says Joab and his servants went out to battle with all of Israel. And there's David. One commentator says he was taking a siesta, which was common in the Oriental nations. Here he was, it says he rose at evening rose from his bed, walked around the king's porch above the king's house, overlooking the kingdom. There he was, comfortable, prosperous, taking his time, looking out. And what did he see? A beautiful woman. Now, I don't know where where David's heart was at that point. I don't know if he woke up from his nap thinking prideful thoughts in his mind or evil thoughts. But we know for sure that he wasn't where he should have been. We know for sure he wasn't seeking the Lord as he should have been. He wasn't in prayer. He wasn't in the Lord's will, and he was open for attack. And the attack came, and David fell miserably. He committed adultery. He coveted his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba. He had her husband, Uriah, murdered. He dishonored God. He brought shame to Israel. It was ugly. It was a great sin, and for years, and years and years were told the sword never left his house. Turmoil, destruction, and consequences for his sin. Psalm 51 shows us a man who returned to his senses after the prophet Nathan boldly confronted him. If you remember that story, he says, You are the man. Many of your Bibles, right above Psalm 51, verse 1, they say a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had adultery or as my version says as he had gone into Bathsheba interesting name right Bathsheba here she is bathing on the in her porch there Psalm 51 let's go ahead and read it be gracious to me O God according to your loving kindness according to the greatness of your compassion Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make no, make me no wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole, burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. We see in verses 1, 2, 3, 5, and 9, David mentions his sin. He needs help. He needs healing. He needs atonement. Last week, we talked about Psalm chapter 16 where David says, Preserve me, O God. Keep me, O God. Guard me. That was his prayer last week that's how he began and today it's a similar plea it's grace it's some of your translations say mercy be merciful to me be gracious to me this time he needs grace this time he needs atonement this time he needs his sins blotted out because he's fallen radically he's saying god show me compassion don't give me what i deserve what did david deserve According to Leviticus 20, verse 10, he deserved the death penalty for committing murder. According to Leviticus 24, 17, he committed the death penalty for, actually committed he for murder. Leviticus 24, 17 says he deserved the death penalty. Leviticus 20, 10 for adultery. He knew apart from the grace of God, he was doomed. If he got what he deserved, he would be wiped out. And so would we and so would all of creation. That's why this is a model prayer for all of us. It's a model prayer for any believer. Because if we're honest, we know that we've fallen. Now some of us might say, well, I haven't haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed adultery like David. I'm pretty good. And when we compare ourselves to the sins he committed or Hitler or anyone else, we can all prop ourselves up when we compare ourselves to one another. God's standard is perfection. That's what the law is there to show us. The mirror, 613 laws. Can any of you and I keep them perfectly? No, of course not. The law is a tutor to lead us to Christ, his righteousness, his grace, his atonement on the cross. God loves Psalm 51, the prayer of Psalm 51. I believe this is a prayer that God loves. He loves humility. He loves humble hearts. He loves those who plead for grace listen to psalm 34:18 the lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit psalm 145:18 the lord is near to all who call upon him to all who call out to him in truth david is calling out to god in the midst of his brokenness and god is rich in mercy god is willing god is eager to show off his goodness and grace it's as if he's holding it out to the world he's holding it out to those who will run to him like a little child and that's David in this psalm verse 1 he says that God is full of compassion he calls it great compassion in the NASB in the King James it says the multitude of thy tender mercies the Hebrew word is pronounced robe ironically robe it, it means an abundance numerous great plenty This is the foundation of the whole psalm, the abundance of God's loving kindness and mercy. This is the only means by which David could be forgiven, the only way he could be healed, the only way he could be cleansed, and it's the same for us today. But David's a murderer. He's an adulterer. He's a wicked man because of these great sins. So there's a dilemma in Psalm 51. Here's the dilemma. God is just. God is holy. God is righteous. God must punish sin. God hates sin. Read the Old Testament, right? Read about Sodom and Gomorrah. Read about what happened to Egypt. Read about what happened to the Israelites over and over again. What does David deserve? He deserves death. If God is good and God is righteous and God is just, he must put David to death. What good judge, if someone has stolen millions of dollars, murdered people, comes into the courtroom and the judge, says, judge just says, go freely? Is that a good judge? God must uphold his holiness. He must uphold his righteousness. And, sit, and Psalm 51, 19 is not going to do it. When David talks about giving sacrifices, burnt offerings to God, he even says, God, you will delight in these. Yes, he will delight in those. But will those cover his sin? Hebrews 10.4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to forgive sin. It's impossible. Psalm 51 only makes sense. It only makes sense when God is willing to blot out sin through his son, Jesus Christ. It all points to the cross of Christ. Listen to these verses. Hebrews 9.15. And for this reason, he that's Christ, is a mediator of a new covenant, that a death having taken place for the redemption of the transgressions, that we were under the first covenant, that were under the first covenant, that they have been called, may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Listen to Romans 3:25. God displayed Christ publicly as a propitiation, an atonement. In his blood, through faith, this was demonstrated to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. God passed over the sins previously committed in the Old Testament as they looked forward to Christ. So when men like David humbly ran to the Lord, when they put their faith in the Lord, when they made these sacrifices To God, as one commentator put it, it's like a credit card, right? It's it's not a debit card to where the money is cashed right then. It's on credit. And that's, in a sense, a picture of what was going on in the Old Testament. Because some people say, well, how could the people in the Old Covenant be saved? Jesus hadn't died yet. So how does Jesus's blood cover them? And God saw their faith. He saw their sacrifices, and the blood of the bulls and goats didn't take away their sin. It was like credit until Christ came, and then it was accounted to their lives. Christ's Christ's blood for their sin. As the Clark Commentary states, For the manifestation of God's righteousness, his mercy in saving sinners, by sending Jesus Christ to make atonement for them, thereby declaring his readiness to remit all past transgressions committed by both Jews and Gentiles during the time in which his merciful forbearance was exercised to the world. Galatians 2.21 and 3.21 say, If the law could bring life, if the law could bring righteousness, then Christ died needlessly. If David could be forgiven, if those saints in the Old Testament could be forgiven and cleansed and righteous because of something that they could do, something in the law, there's no need for Christ. So all that to say, apart from Christ, David was doomed. We're doomed. The world is doomed. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that anyone is forgiven. All the sacrifices in the Old Covenant were pictures of the true atonement to come. So all around Psalm 51, as we look at this, is the cross of Jesus Christ. David's language throughout this psalm, there's washing, as as we read, cleansing, purification. Verse 7, he again says cleansing and washing is what he desires. Verse 10, there's a plea for a clean heart. It resembles 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The NIV says, purify us from all unrighteousness. The Greek word speaks of making pure, clean, free from defilement and sin and the guilt of sin, removing filth. i got a question for you. Have you ever been so dirty? that you had to wash over and over again to get, to get clean. I don't know, maybe you're a construction worker, maybe you're working outside, maybe you're working on your car, and you got oil, grease all over your hands, and you just couldn't get it off, and you're washing over and over again. That was me this past week. I'm not the handyman by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I'm outside spraying the mosquitoes and the yellow jackets, and I don't think you guys have many bees up here. Maybe you do. I don't know yellow bugs, whatever they are out there that are annoying, I'm spraying all around the house, right? And the can says shake. So I'm shaking, and but while I'm shaking, somehow it's coming out of the top and it's getting all over my hand. And so I went inside and was a little frustrated about that. And I'm washing my hands. I'm trying to get this smell off of my hands and I'm hoping that it's not like super corrosive and like bad for me. I don't know. So I'm washing my hands and it's not coming off. And I keep washing my hands, and I'm trying different soap. And I'm getting frustrated because I keep going like this, and I'm smelling something, and I'm asking my kids, I'm like, do you smell this? And they're like, yeah, what does that smell? It was frustrating, right? And I must have washed my hands like eight times, and then I still kind of smelt, and I was done. I'm like, okay, it is what it is, right? I wanted to be clean. I wanted my hands to be clean. That's a picture of what's going on here, spiritually speaking, of what's going on with David. Look at verse 2 and 3. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's like the spiritual smell of stench was all around David. He's trying to wash himself. It's not coming off. He's still smelling it. So he's pleading with the Lord, wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me. Get rid of this smell, Lord. I need help. Purify me. Wash me. It reminds me of Luke 5.12. There's this leper. And it says he falls on his face before Jesus. And he implores him, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. People didn't go around lepers. People didn't touch lepers. People ostracized lepers, right? David has spiritual leprosy. He needs cleansing. And Jesus said, I am willing to this leper be cleansed. Verse 4 of Psalm 51, against you, you only, have I sinned. Against you and you only. Did David only sin against God? You alone, God. Not Bathsheba, not Uriah, not Uriah's family. You alone. What is he saying here? Well, we looked at it last week, Psalm 16, verse 2. David said, I have no good besides you. We talked about, there's a lot of good in this world that God has given us gifts from him but surely David would David would say there's other good things right we talked about sushi and pizza and carbs and all these things right those are good aren't they they're not good for us really as i was talking to my wife last night about it I'm like it's so hard to not eat carbs and so one guy we one fitness guru trainer or whatever you want to call him he's like you reward yourselves okay if you work hard if you're active then get some carbs If you don't work hard, then taper the carbs down. And it's hard to do that, though, right? Because yesterday I just sat at a desk most of the day, and I just wanted carbs. And I'm thinking about that thing I read about that. Sports guru, and it was bothering me. Um, Nevertheless, there's good in this world, good gifts from God. But David's saying, compared to those things, you are my good. You are great. You're awesome, Lord. And it's the same thing Asaph says in Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? Besides you, I desire nothing on earth. I don't desire anything but you, Lord, on earth. Sure, we have desires, right? We desire our spouse. We have good godly ambitions and desires. But he's saying, compared to you, Lord, I have no desires. These things don't mean anything compared to you. And David's saying, Compar- comparatively, yes, I've sinned against these people, but I have offended you the greatest, Lord. You are the most important person to me, Lord, and I've sinned against you, and I've broken your heart. And to you and you only have I sinned. It's a strong statement to show David's heartfelt remorse for his sin. The, Bar- the Barnes commentary states, quote, His sin now appeared to him so enormous and so aggravated that for the moment he lost sight of it, Considered it in any other of its bearings. So he wasn't thinking about the ways in which he sinned against them, though he did greatly. What was bugging his conscience was his sin against the Lord. You know what we don't see in Psalm 51? We don't see excuses. We don't see justifications for his sin. We don't hear David say, Yeah, but Bathsheba was a beautiful woman. Or, I'm just a man. Or, you just made me like this, Lord. Or, if she hadn't been bathing outside at the evening time, none of this would have happened. Or, I had a difficult upbringing. Or, I'm a warrior. I'm a fighter. I'm a king. Come on, cut me some slack. And on and on the list could go, right? Because some of us are really good at that when we're caught in sin. When we're drifting from the Lord. We're really good at justifying it. But this, Lord, but that. If, if this didn't happen, if, I, if, this, if the circumstances weren't this way, I wouldn't have done that. And perhaps there's a time to do that. I don't know. But what I love about this psalm is the constant confession, the constant heartfelt remorse, the constant going to God saying, I messed up, Lord. I shouldn't have done this. I deserve death. You are holy, God. You are justified in the way you speak. And that's what he's going to go on to say here in verse 4. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. I think I counted references to God 31 times in this psalm. 31 times in 19 verses, David is saying, You, you Lord, you're justified. When you speak, you are blameless, Lord. I've sinned against you. Lord, you need to cleanse me. Lord, you need to purify me. He's constantly going to God for help. So he's saying, God, you're justified. God, if you want to put me to death, you're justified in that. I deserve it. God, if you want to take the kingdom away from me, you're justified. Because he says, you're justified when you speak. And his word has spoken on David's condition here. He deserves death. He deserves all the other things as well. Yeah, take his kingdom away from him. God showed him grace instead. When we look at verse 5, it says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. You know, as I read this psalm, many of you guys have heard of Shane and Shane, and as I read some of the psalms, it's hard not to bring back the songs that those guys have sung, and I encourage you, if you haven't heard them and you're trying to get into the Psalms more, meditate on them, and sing them even. They're, it's a helpful way, is the songs of Shane and Shane. Um, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. What does this mean? Some Jewish rabbis taught that since there was a mystery around David's mom, we don't, re- we don't see her name in Scripture. We see Jesse. We see David's brother's named. She's kind of in the outskirts. We don't know what's really going on with her. She's rarely talked about. So they combine that with this verse and say, David was born in adultery. That's what some say. But many commentators say, No, it's not in line with this psalm. David's admitting his deep depravity, going back to his birth. I was a sinner from birth, Lord. I, I all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That in and then that in and apart from God and his grace, David's saying, I'm evil. It's a plea for grace. It's another way to say, from my mother's womb, Lord, I needed your grace in my life. Barnes' commentary rightly says of this depravity, quote, this fact does not excuse us in sin, but rather tends to aggravate and deepen our guilt. David's saying, I have fallen short from birth, Lord. My only hope is you and your grace. Yes, I've sinned against Bathsheba and David and their family and you, Lord, I'm a sinner since birth, is essentially what I believe David is saying here. How much more do I need your grace? As I began to put this teaching together, and even the last two teachings on the psalm, Psalm 73, Psalm 16, I'm seeing how much there is in each verse, and how hard it is to teach through a whole psalm, because I want to go into more depth, and I want to talk about each verse more, and as I was putting this together, I go, okay, I'm on verse 5, and there's Nineteen verses, and if I kept this pace and went into the depth that I wanted to and talked about each verse adequately, then I'm going too long of a sermon for what I like to do. I think my sweet spots around 45 minutes or so, maybe an hour. Someone asked me the other day, "How long's your longest sermon?" And I said, "Maybe an hour and ten minutes, hour and 20 minutes. So that's long-winded for me. But I want to get you out of here at a reasonable time, so we'll try to move through some of the next verses, but I was also talking to my wife the other day about how I used to teach at a rescue mission, and my brother-in-law now works there, and I used to preach at 7 in the morning. And these guys, if if only one was falling asleep on me, that was a good morning. So I had to think of tricks to keep their attention and say things really loud at times to keep them on their toes or, like, who's that walking in the door? And get them all startled, whatever I could do to keep their attention, to try to get them to hear the gospel and hear the word of God. And even one guy who graduated the program didn't need to come anymore to this uh, teaching time at 7 AM. And he'd walk through the doors again and again, because he's like, I just want to hear the word preached. And, and he'd come up after, and we'd have great discussions. So that was encouraging. But I would try to keep it at 30 minutes, even for them. Sometimes I went to 45 minutes or an hour. And some of them were like, yeah, keep going. And others um, wanted to go back to bed. But nevertheless, we'll get out of here at a good time. Psalm 51, verse 6. Let's keep moving along. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. God desires truth in the innermost being. The Hebrew word talks about the inward parts I think one translation says, in the faithfulness of our womb, in our deep, in the core of our being. We say heart. We don't mean our actual heart, but what we're talking about is inside, God wants truth. He wants us to be real with him, transparent, honest with him. And we even see that in our culture today. More and more people want that. They just want what's real. They've been, they've been just tricked and you go to a used car's lot used car a lot. And I was talking to someone recently about this. And it's like, you just feel like everyone's trying to get you with something. Everyone's trying to trick you. And even a guy came to my door the other day wanting to spray the house pest control. And I was trying to be nice to him and he was like, share the Lord with him. And I wanted to share the Lord with him, but I've just been around so many salesmen and done sales myself that I just pretty much told him off real quick. I was like, with all due respect, like you got to go, like, I don't want it. And he's like, can I give you the pitch real quick? And I'm like, no, like real quick, real quick. And he went for like five seconds, and I was like, you got to go, man. Like, you got to go. I respect you. Good luck out there. I don't want it. Don't need it. Don't have the money. And, um, and we, there's just so much of that going on in our world. And God, he wants truth, right? That's what David's saying here. He wants us to be real with him. He sees right through us. We can fake We can fake it, right? We can fool each other. We can put on our Sunday's best and we can smile. But God knows what's going on deep down inside of us. And David knows that. And that's what he's saying here. We all have desires, right? Some good, some bad. Our bad desires need to be thrown away. God only has good desires. And God's desire, according to verse 6, is that truth would be in our inner being. God wants our hearts. He sees right through the fake and the phony. He wants us to be real. The Hebrew word in verse 6 is kafetes, for desire. It's the same word used in verse 16 here. You do not desire sacrifice. You do not delight in sacrifice. Otherwise, I would give it. David fell into great sin, and David's looking around at all these animals. He's got cattle and sheep and all these animals, and he goes, I could offer all these to you right now. That's what Solomon did when he was king and built a house to the Lord, if you remember that story. It says he sacrificed like thousands of animals to the Lord. But the Lord was pleased with that because it was an offering to God from a pure heart. Solomon was saying, this is your temple, Lord. This is your house. And he, if you read the story, he extends his arms out to heaven. He gets out in front of the people, and it's this beautiful prayer of Solomon just crying out to God. May your name reign in Israel. May your protection be upon us. Lord, if we ever drift from you, bring us back. And as he's doing that with his humble, pure heart, he's sacrificing to the Lord. And it says it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the Lord appeared. His presence appeared in the midst of it. But David knows this isn't going to blot out his sin. David knows works righteousness isn't going to work here. Checking off the box and doing things isn't going to gain God's approval. It's got to be deeper than that. David knows he needs grace. So he says in verse 16, you you don't delight in sacrifice, uh, otherwise I would give it. But then he uses the same Greek word again, or Hebrew word in verse 19. Then you will desire righteous sacrifice. In burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then young bulls will be offered on your altar. Yes, God does want sacrifice. Yes, God does delight in sacrifice, but it needs to be from a true heart. David's saying, I need to get right from the Lord with the Lord first. I need to be cleansed first. I need his grace first. I need from the inside out to be transformed, to be renewed. Then I'll offer these sacrifices. And with those, God will be pleased. God will be glorified. God will be exalted. So, Verse 7, purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What is hyssop? Purify me with hyssop? Hyssop is an herb. It has purging qualities. It's a plant. Wait a minute. How is a plant going to purify David? Purify me, Lord, with this plant. Once again, symbology all throughout this psalm. Hyssop in and of itself isn't going to cleanse him. It must be deeper. David knows that. We know that. But hyssop is used several times in the scripture. Exodus 12, 22. God says, dip hyssop in the basin of blood and put it on the lentil and the doorpost of your house so that when God passes over and the death angel destroyer will not destroy your firstborn son. It was an agent that brought cleansing, healing, purification, um, it allowed the Israelites to live while the Egyptians died. So David, in part, is alluding to that reference. There's also other references in Scripture, like Leviticus 14.4, that talks about hyssop being used to cleanse lepers. So again, we see the similarity with David and spiritual leprosy, symbology of the cleansing that David needed within. And ironically, Jesus, when he was on the cross, being crucified— before he gave up his spirit, it says that they brought him a sponge on a hyssop branch with sour vinegar. They touched his mouth with it, he received it, and then he died and said, Tetelestai, die, paid in full. It is finished. I believe perhaps these pictures, although Jesus hadn't died yet, the picture of the Passover, the cleansing of the lepers, and other cleansing agents and stories in the Old Testament that dealt with hyssop, David is saying, Purify me. With hyssop, this outward symbol of what inwardly needs to happen in his life. Verse 8 Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Again, symbology, right? Are David's bones really broken? He's saying, The weight of the sin is crushing me. It feels like my bones are broken. My joints are all out of whack. Several people have been coming to me lately saying, I need to see a chiropractor. One lives with me and one I work with. And one guy, the PE teacher, goes, do chiropractors work, Nick? What's your experience? And he goes, my back's really been bugging me and I got to take Advil every morning. And I said, you know what? My wife's seen chiropractors for years and says it's the best thing ever and needs to see one again because her back's out of joint or out of whack or whatever. And that's what I see here with David. I'm all out of whack, Lord. My bones are broken. I need restoration. I need healing. I need cleansing. I need you to put me back together. It's like the pieces are all over the place. And you're the spiritual physician, Lord. You're like the chiropractor that needs to put me back together so that these bones can rejoice, so that I can be glad again. Because when I'm in this state of mind, Lord, I can't praise you the way I should. The only thing that's on my mind is the stench The smell, this rotting smell of sin that's all around me, Lord, and I need your help. Rid me of it so I can praise you and return to you. That's what David is saying here. David wants to return to 2 Samuel 6, 14 and 15, where it says, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I love that picture of David. He doesn't care what people think. He's out there in the open. He's dancing. He's jumping around. He's praising the Lord. That's what God wants in us. You don't necessarily need to jump around and dance. There are some Psalms that say dance to the Lord, shout to the Lord, sing to the Lord. But that should start in our hearts. Daily, I mean, that's the point of these psalms, isn't it? For us to praise the Lord. It's all throughout the psalms. It's all throughout this psalm. I want to return to your joy, Lord, your presence, gladness, because I'm not feeling it right now. And even David's wife in that text goes up to him after, says, "You've made a fool of yourself. Look at you dancing before people." And David said, basically, "I don't care. If I'm a fool in man's eyes, I don't care. I'm dancing unto the Lord." That should be our perspective, right? I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what people think about me. I'm rejoicing in the Lord. I'm dancing like David. I'm not going to allow people in this world, people I know, to quench that joy. That should be our hearts. That's David's heart here. He wanted every part of his being renewed, restored, cleansed. We see that in verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Verse 15, verse 15, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Verses 2 and 7, wash me. These are all pictures. Verse 14, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. Verse 8, let my bones rejoice. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He needed divine intervention. He was beyond repair. He was diseased. He was living in denial until he was confronted and brought to his knees in humility. So as we talked about, sacrifices wouldn't do it. It must be deeper than that. He wanted to be near God. He wanted to be back in Psalm 16:8, where he said, I have you, Lord, continually before me. You're at my right hand, so I won't be shaken. Psalm 16:8. He goes, God, you're right there next to me. It's like a force field around me. I can't be shaken Lord and for years and years and years he couldn't be as we talked about the enemies came his way he destroyed them no one could touch him he was a man after God's own heart and now we see the opposite here he's shaken he's beat up he's disheveled bones broken joints are all out of whack confused I need you Lord restore my senses So that my lips will praise you, that my tongue will shout to you, that I can hear gladness and joy, every part of his being wanting to praise the Lord. So he says in verses 10 through 12, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. And I see that picture of that leper who's before Jesus falling down in Luke 5. That's David. This isn't like a casual prayer. This isn't a casual plea. It's as if he's on his face, on his hands and knees, pleading with the Lord. For probably around two years, I listened to a Keith Green out CD over and over again. And he has a song, and it's, the song is verses 10 through 12. And as I was putting this together, I just started singing the song again. And I really encourage you guys, to pick out some psalms. And if you need help from Shane and Shane or Keith Green or other musicians that can help you praise the Lord, then awesome. But we need our hearts tuned to praise God. And you will be blessed when you pray these things, sing these things, cry out to the Lord with the same heart that David had. He says, sustain me in verse 12. The King James and the ESV translate it, uphold me. It means hold me up. I'm falling over, Lord. I don't have the strength to stand up on my own. So I need you to hold me, Lord. There's no self-sufficiency in this psalm. There's no, I'm going to pull myself up by my own bootstraps from this. I can do this on my own. There's no, I got this. There's a lot of, I don't got this, and I need you. And there should be that mentality in every one of our lives. I don't got this, Lord. In and of myself, I can't do this. And so a word that you see throughout the Psalms is help. And I often say that's one of my most repeated prayers, help. And if you summed up this Psalm in one word, that might be a word that you use, help, Lord. And David actually uses that word in many Psalms. Is that, that word should be in your vocabulary, I believe, when you're praying. And fill in the blank after that help Lord with my business, help Lord with my family, help Lord with my spouse, help me to love my church and my friends and the world around me. I really believe as Christians, we constantly need help. That's what David needs here. He needs the Lord's help, complete and utter dependence on the Lord. It's something you and I never graduate from. We're Called to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, to grow in the knowledge of the Word, to grow in our theology of who Christ is and what He did for us. And I'm constantly trying to memorize Scripture and know the secret things of the Lord, so to speak, the things that are hard to understand. And I'm going, Lord, I can't wrap my brain around so many things in Your Word. There's so many people smarter than me and that have studied for so many years. And I'm trying, Lord. And that's a pursuit that all of us should have to want to grow in our faith, to grow in knowledge. So that we can know him more and make him known to the world. But with that, one thing we never graduate from is child dependence upon the Lord. Jesus said you must be like a child if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be dependent upon him. You must go to him like a child that can't do pretty much anything without their parents' help. That's David here. He's returning back to who he was as a youth. His heart is the same as it was all those years as he was running from Saul, as he's wiping out Goliath, as he's destroying his enemies, dependent upon the Lord all those years. And then he starts walking on that rooftop, and if we're not careful, we can have that same mentality of what seems like I believe his mentality was is I kind of got this. It's all together. I'm ruling, I'm reigning. They can go take care of the battles now. I don't really need a battle. Look where I'm at. I'm at ease. I'm comfortable. Everything's together. And then the attack. We need to be on guard at all times. So he says, restore. As we get ready to bring this to a close in just a minute here. Restore in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sustain me with the willing spirit. It means to turn back. Bring me back to that place of joy. That should be a constant prayer of you and I. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Let's read the last couple verses, verses thirteen through nineteen, as I bring this to a close. He says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips. That my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice; otherwise, I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. By your favor, do good design. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. Verse 17 is another good one to highlight to mark down. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. Here's my last point. I believe it's healthy to be broken. You say, how is it healthy to be broken? And I believe that's what's going on here. David was broken. It sounds like a contradiction, but it's not. The moment that you and I think we have it all together, the moment that you and I think, I got this, I'm healthy. Jesus said, I didn't come for those who are, those who are righteous. He said, I came for those who need a physician. I came for those who are unhealthy, who are humble in heart, who are meek. That needs to be our mentality. And when you go to God, he won't despise you. He won't reject you. He won't be abrasive. He'll be gentle. He'll delight like he does in this psalm in your humility. We should be broken over our sin, over our shortcomings, our inabilities to be like Christ in so many ways should keep us humble like a little child before him.